Hey friends, it's Weston, and I wanted to take just a second to thank you for listening to the Bowling Green Christian Church Sermon Podcast. If someone recommended this message to you, I hope that it encourages you. If you're here getting caught up on a week you missed, I hope that it challenges you. And if you're a visitor checking us out, I hope that it helps you connect with Jesus and his church. Whoever you are, whenever you're ready to take your next step closer to Jesus or to connect with a BGCC family, know that we're here for you. You can learn more about how to connect with us by downloading our app when you text BGCC app to 77977. There in the app, you can submit prayer requests, find out about upcoming events, and even give to help support our ministry, including this podcast. It's my prayer that God uses this message to encourage and equip you to take your next best step in life, which is always one step closer to Jesus. All right. Hey, it's great to be here with you this morning. Again, we're continuing our series uh, of, of Revolution, which is following along with Tony Evans' um, book, Oneness Embraced. It's a great book. I recommend it to you to uh, read. Um, it's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, any place you would normally find a book. Um, it's also in Right Now Media. That's a great uh, community group study that we've been going through. Uh, if you would like to follow along with us in that, uh, just being a part of the Bowling Green Christian Church family, uh, you've got a subscription to that for free. Just email the office and we'll send you the information you need to log in to Right Now Media. Uh, today, um, I want to look at a verse from nobody's favorite Bible book. Um, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of people, asked them, you know, what's your favorite book of the Bible? You know, uh, never, ever have I had anybody tell me they just love Leviticus. I mean, you know, take the New Testament, the book of Psalms, Proverbs, you know, those are fine, but give me Leviticus, said nobody ever. You know, nobody ever wanted that book. But in Leviticus, we see several pieces of truth, several um, passages of Scripture that reveal the heart of God in a way that is maybe missed in other places of the Bible. Uh, the book of Leviticus helps us to see that God's heart for all people, uh, the insider, the outsider, the, the Jew and the Gentile, you know, all races, all ethnicities, we get glimpses of that there in the book of Leviticus and even through the whole law. Uh, I've, I've said this before, and, and I really believe it. So much of Jesus' teaching ministry was simply reminding people of what they should have already known and what they should have already been doing. Um, and we see that so clearly in Leviticus 19.18, where God commands his people, love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, God says to this nation that is being formed, this, this group of slaves who'd come out of the land of Egypt and has now entered into the promised land, their home country now, and they're going to form a new nation. God says, listen, I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. And as we're going to see here this morning, that, that idea of neighbor isn't just the person that looks like me, acts like me, votes like me. It's everybody that I come in contact with, anybody that I'm in proximity with or to do business with, go to school with any of those things, those people are my neighbors. They're, they're all my neighbors. And we live in an incredibly divided climate and time when it's never been so easy to be divided and, and just really hateful. I mean, if somebody isn't red like you're red or blue like you're blue, if somebody you know, isn't you know, in your social or, or economic status, whatever, you know, we demonize each other so much. And God from the beginning has said, that's not how I want you to be. I want you to be people that love, that show my love to everybody, to all of your neighbors. 
And part of our church's ethos, a big guiding piece, is that we would be a church that is for our neighbors. We've got to get this right. We've got to get this right, church. Now, this morning, we're going to look a bit at some Old Testament laws. And we don't always look at Old Testament laws because they're not you know, as applicable to us, perhaps, as what Jesus would say. I mean, the cross has come and changed all the rules. And in the Old Testament, you had these laws that were there, and, and they were really to sort of stay within the holiness of God. Uh, but Jesus came and he said, you know, it's clearly impossible for you to stay within my holiness, and so I'm going to declare, your, declare you holy, and through the power of my Spirit, I'm going to start changing you from the inside out. It's not a, a conformity to a system of rules, but it's, it's a transformation that that happens from the inside out as God's spirit works inside of us. But I want to look at the Old Testament, not because these are laws that, that we're bound to, but they're clearly principles that, that are echoed in Jesus' own teaching, and they're clearly principles that should guide us as Christ followers as we seek to be people who live uh, righteously, justly, and with compassion. Now, when we live a righteous life, what we're really doing is opening up ourselves to receive more of God's blessing. What we're really doing is we're, we're aligning ourselves with, with who God is and what God is doing, and that allows us to enjoy him more fully in this life. We, we don't do it because we have to earn our way to heaven or any of those sorts of things. We do it because we love God and we want to fully experience him. That's what righteousness is for. And we'll see in these verses that many of these things that you know I think we would classify as righteous we could also say those are compassionate things. God's interested in righteousness and justice because it's compassionate. It's compassionate for the people that are on the outside, that are, that are taken advantage of, that are exploited. Uh, and that's what God is concerned about as he gives the nation of Israel these laws in the Old Testament. Uh, let's start here in Leviticus 19.33. Um, and, and there's this word that shows up here. It says, suppose an outsider lives with you in your land. Now, this word outsider is just somebody who's different from you. So, you know, it might be somebody of uh, different gender, somebody of a different race, somebody of a different, you know, socioeconomic background, somebody, you know, of, of whatever difference you've got, that's the outsider, the person who isn't like you. And God says, suppose an outsider lives with you in your land. Don't treat him badly. Treat him as if he was one of your own people. Love him as you love yourself. Remember that all of you were outsiders in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. I love that. God brings it back home to him because this, this is a group of people that just come out of Egypt. They had all been the outsiders in Egypt. God says, now that you're the insider, don't use that to oppress the outsider because you know what that felt like. You know what it was like to be an outsider, so make sure you don't treat the outsider like an outsider. Treat them as though they were one of your own. Show them love. Love your neighbor as yourself because you've all been outsiders at different points in time. Now, we might pause and ask this question. You know, if the nation of Israel is going and is forming this new country, why are all these people coming to it? Well, God answers that question in Deuteronomy chapter 4. It says, See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me. This is Moses writing. So that you may follow them in the land you're entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations, who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. In other words, God's given them this law, and as they live by the law, what's going to end up happening is other nations are going to see this, and they're going to go, oh my goodness, there is something special and unique about the way they live in justice and righteousness towards each other. 
Moses continues, he says, what other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way that the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? You see, it was the wisdom of God, it was the love of God, it was the presence of God that drew people toward the nation of Israel. And it's the same thing, really, that should be drawing people to the church today. The wisdom of God, the love of God, the compassion that is shown in Jesus Christ. You see, it's God's love that makes the outsider or the stranger our neighbor. That's what God's love does. It brings the outsider in. You see, God took the outsider seriously in the Old Testament. He took the the stranger seriously in the Old Testament. And he lays down some laws to protect these these different people. In in the the Old Testament law, will classify them using different words. Sometimes it's a refugee. Sometimes it's an exile. Sometimes it's immigrant. Sometimes it's the poor. But whoever it is, it's the people that are on the, the outskirts of society, that are disenfranchised, that their voice isn't as loud as other people, that don't have the resources to be able to provide for themselves or navigate the system. God says, I want you to look out for those people. And the plan wasn't that God's people would just sort of look out for him and be nice to him, but the plan was that God's love would draw the stranger in and make that stranger family. You see, uh, in Ezekiel chapter 47, we catch a glimpse of this. Uh, God, speaking through the prophet Ezekiel, says, you shall allot it, this is the land that he gave to his people as an inheritance uh, for yourselves and for the aliens. That's the outsider. That's the stranger who reside among you and have begotten children among you. They shall be to you as citizens of Israel. In other words, they're now part of the family. They were strangers. They've come. Now they've become neighbors. Now they've become family. They shall be to you as citizens of Israel. With you they shall be allotted an inheritance among the tribes of Israel. And whatever tribe the alien resides, there you shall assign them their inheritance, says the Lord God. You see, what God is saying is, listen, my love is going to transform the stranger into the neighbor, and the neighbor is going to become part of the family. That's what God's love does. It brings people in. It brings them close. And this idea of of assimilating the outsider, the stranger, the friend, this is the goal of Israel. It's to be the goal of the church. And if you really think about it, it's really the goal of our country as, as, a, as a nation of immigrants, of people who have come here from so many different places. But the problem is that when you've got insiders and outsiders, generally your insiders will work really hard to protect things for themselves. They'll work to protect power for themselves. It's just, it's just how, I guess it is how we're wired. I don't know why that is. I think we just sort of say, well, this is mine. I'm going to protect it. I'm going to keep it to myself. You kind of see this throughout the history. I was listening to a church historian uh, being interviewed about uh, the role of the church and the abolition of slavery uh, and how within the church there was you know, some shining moments of these abolitionists who, who had in their mind that, that once slavery was abolished, that all people would be equal and, and all the rights would be equal and we would just sort of live together as one harmonious society. Clearly that didn't happen as slave laws were replaced by things like Jim Crow laws and it, and it kept the outsiders and the insiders sort of separated and, and all these things were to be you know, kept that way. At least this is the way that it was perceived by, with, by people with power. And God says, listen, don't be that way. God says, don't keep 
excluding people that I have included. Don't, don't, don't hold at arm's length the people that I am embracing. My love makes strangers into neighbors, neighbors into family. Why are you trying to exclude people that I've already included? As Christ followers, we should be people that show love and inclusiveness and, and wrapping our arms around people that, that some in society would be rejecting. We need to say, no, God has a place for you here in his kingdom. That's what we're called to do. And in the Old Testament, we see that there are some very practical, very tangible kinds of things that the nation of Israel was to do in order to make sure that there was sort of a fair playing field, that there was an inclusive society for everybody, whether they were insider or outsider, quote unquote. A couple of these rules that God laid down, we might label as labor laws if you want to think about it this way. God wanted everybody to have a day of rest and not be exploited Exodus 20.10 says this, The seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son, your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident, that outsider, that stranger in your towns. You, you aren't going to you know, have a day off at the expense of somebody else, God says. Everybody gets a break because we're human Human? Human beings, not human doings. That's who we are. God says, I want you to protect each other. Uh, there was also what we might think of today as due process uh, under law uh, afforded to everybody. Deuteronomy 1.16 says this, I charged your judges at that time. Give the members of your community a fair hearing and judge rightly between one person and another, whether citizen or resident alien. In other words, whether they're an insider or whether they're an outsider, everybody is entitled to justice. Everybody is entitled to what is the truth and to what is fair and to what is right. God says that's what we owe each other as human beings. That's what we owe each other as people created in the image of God. Even more basic than all of this is God's simple command to love and he specifically calls the outsider as somebody you love. Deuteronomy 10, 19, you shall also love the stranger, the outsider. Why? Because you were strangers. You were outsiders in the land of Egypt. And that love was to take on a very practical expression when God said, I want you to help care for the poor among them as well. Leviticus 19, 10 says, you shall not strip your vineyard bare or gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. God is, is here commanding business owners. He's saying, listen, I want you to make not a killing. I want you to, to be people that are generous and good and just and loving because I am generous and good and just and loving. That's what God is calling us to do. This is under the Old Testament law. Can you imagine how much more we're called to be loving and good and generous and kind now that we've seen the full measure of God's goodness and love and generosity and kindness in Jesus Christ. And here's the truth, is that if we're, if we're really a Christ follower, then guess what? We're all outsiders. We're all outsiders. And we're to show love, not to exploit people, not to take advantage of people that, that don't have a voice or have access to, to, to things that perhaps we might have access to or know how to navigate the system the way we might know how to navigate the system. God says, I don't want you to even worry about that. I want you to just show love because we're all in that boat First uh, Peter chapter 2.11, the apostle Peter, friend of Jesus, he writes this. Dear friends, you are outsiders and strangers in this world, so I'm asking you not to give in to your sinful longings. They fight against your soul. Peter's saying, listen, don't get too comfortable here in this world because Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. This isn't it. 
And so in the meantime, we should be saying, God, would you prepare us for that place that we're going to? That's what we need to be praying for. God, would you transform our heart to be like your heart and our desires to be like your desires so that way when we get to heaven, it's not that big of a change for us because we're accustomed to living in love and treating others with kindness and lifting up your name in praise. You see, the problem is that we live in such ease and comfort that we fight and even war to protect the things that we perceive to be ours when God says, listen, none of this is yours. You have something better waiting for you in heaven. You have an inheritance, an eternal kingdom, but this is not it. And it's sad that as far as I can tell, there isn't any significant difference between Christians and non-Christians in regards to divorce, viewing pornography, living in debt, and even, I mean, you know, doing things like (laughs) cheating on our taxes and taking advantage of each other. It's a sad state of affairs, friends. It's time that we wake up and that we embrace our identity, identity as being people that are found in Jesus Christ and that we start to live in this life and live out this life of love that God has called us to do. Galatians 3.28 makes it pretty clear that in Jesus Christ there is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring heirs according to the promise. You see, in Jesus Christ, we are brought together as one people, regardless of of who your parents were or weren't, regardless of where you've come from or not come from. We are all one in Jesus Christ, and we can all unite in Jesus Christ as family. That's the really good news, is that when you, uh, you know, you're saved in Jesus Christ, you're not just sort of saved for heaven for later, you're brought into this present moment into the family of God, and we're all included with each other as well as with Jesus Christ. You know, if in the Old Testament we were called to simply not exploit people and just be fair and be kind, which we were called to so much more, how much more now that we've all been united in Jesus Christ Should we show love to the people that we might perceive as the outsider, the foreigner, the stranger today? You see, in Jesus Christ, we can no longer look at somebody else as a foreigner or a stranger or outsider because they've been created in the image of God and they are eternally valued and valuable to God. And when we start to live like this, what we'll start to see is a glimpse of what God has promised to be waiting for us in in Revelation That in Revelation, God is bringing together all people from every nation, tribe, and tongue together as one in the kingdom of God. And so I think it's all summed up pretty nicely by Jesus in Matthew 5. I like the way Eugene Peterson translates this. He says, in a word, what I'm saying is grow up. Your kingdom subjects now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others the way that God lives towards you. Friends, it's time that we grew up into our identity as citizens of the kingdom of God and that we started to show this generosity and graciousness towards others the way that God has shown his generosity and grace towards us. Now, one of the things that we've looked at in the book and, and in our study, and we, we had a good discussion about this in our own community group uh, this last Wednesday night, is what is it that brings people together? You know, it, it's a common cause or maybe a common person that, that we hold in common. 
It's, there's something that brings people that are diverse into one. Uh, Tony Evans, he's, he says that really only true and lasting unity can be found in Jesus Christ. I want to read a quote from his book because I think he's on to something here. He says, The church is the only authentic cross-racial, cross-cultural, cross-generational basis for oneness in existence. It is the only institution on earth obligated to live under God's authority while enabled to do so through his Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul writes this, For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. You see, it's the baptism. He'll go on and say this. The baptism of the spirit at the moment of salvation is the act where God places us into the body of Christ, where he secures the oneness that God wants us to have. This inimitable work of the Spirit positions us under the rule of God. The Greek word for baptism used in the Bible means identification. The cloth, uh, it was used of a cloth maker dipping cloth into dye so that the cloth would take on the color of the dye. The cloth was then said to be baptized or identified with the dye. Friends, if you're in Jesus Christ, when you got saved, when you were baptized into the body of Christ, you were now identified with a new family, having been placed into a new spiritual environment while on earth. No matter what our race, gender, or class, when we came to Jesus Christ, we entered into God's oneness because we came under his authority. Friends, this is why God's love turns strangers into neighbors, neighbors into family. The question we've got to ask ourselves is, are we trying to exclude somebody that God has already included through Jesus Christ? You see, Jesus really is the only lasting source of unity He's the one who provides the power needed to maintain bonds of unity across diverse groups of people. I mean, yes, we might come together you know, within a community for a certain cause for a little while, but once that cause is accomplished, what happens? We'll all go our separate ways. Why? It's because there's nothing bringing us back together. You know, we might have a friendship that gets formed from that, but that's going to be about it. That's going to be a person-to-person sort of thing. But even that doesn't last. I mean, how many of us are really, really good friends with our third, fourth, and fifth cousins? Very few people. Very few people are are close with with very distant family. But if you follow the family tree back up, guess what? Those cousins, third, fourth, fifth cousins, they all had, you know, brothers and sisters in common at some point in time. They all came from the same set of parents. What happened? Well, you know the story. I mean, it happens in all of our families, right? When grandma passes or grandpa dies, we no longer get together for Christmas or Thanksgiving. You know, there's nothing bringing us back together. The family reunion doesn't happen because because grandma isn't the one making the phone calls and organizing it. And so families even start to fade and fall apart because there isn't that one person bringing them back together. You see, it's Jesus Christ who has a common cause of showing his love to the entire world, of bringing every person into his family. That's a cause that will last for eternity, and he is the only one who will outlive all of us, at least through his presence in the body of Christ here on this church and this earth. You see, we're brought together in Jesus Christ. He is the only lasting source for unity. He's the only lasting power for unity. He's the only lasting cause that brings us together. He's the only eternal person that holds us together as we hold all things in common with him. Friends, here in a second, we're going to sing a song, and as we do, we're going to be preparing our hearts and minds for communion. 
You know, one of the, the words or phrases that we use to refer to communion is the Lord's Supper. It's, it's dinner, right? Today's Sunday. Some families will be gathering together for a meal with extended family, with extended, you know, people, you know, grandma, grandpa, maybe even some cousins will show up. And, and you know you're part of the family when you have a seat at the table, you know, when you can look at the table and say, that, that chair is mine, that's, that's the place where I sit, that's my place. You know you're part of the family when you have a place at the table. The Lord's Supper reminds us that we all have a place at God's table, that we're all family if we are in Jesus Christ. And so as we prepare our hearts and minds for communion, let's do two things. Let's celebrate and say, thank you, God, that you have made a place at the table for me. And then let's ask ourselves this question, who have we invited to come join us at the table as family? Now, this morning, we celebrated um, Natalie and Ryan's baptism, and last night, I celebrated uh, their wedding uh, with them. It was a lot of fun. You know, that was a decision they needed to make. They said, man, it's time for us to be baptized into Christ, to become a part of this church. This morning, we're going to be welcoming... Um, Harrison and Sarah into the church family as well. Perhaps today's a day for you to make that decision too. Maybe you say, man, today's the day that, that, man, I need to be a part. I need to make that decision. If so, I'm going to be sitting over here. I'd love to talk with you about that. But as we sing the song, let's do those two things. Let's celebrate Jesus who's made a place at the table for us. And let's be asking ourselves, who do I need to invite to join me at the table? Why don't you stand? We'll be singing.